0: crossroads. We are excited you 're here. Let me also welcome those who are joining us online Facebook live. Let me encourage you guys who are joining us online as I encourage you every week take the time not to just watch this on our Facebook page but take the time to share this to your Facebook page because again, the more shares that we get, the more people that are exposed to this and again it doesn 't just happen on sunday it 's interesting. many people watch this message throughout the week so i 'm going to ask you if you will take the time to share this. We know many of you are on spring break you 're enjoying uh, better climates, better weather than we are here. Uh, We know some of you are going to have to be back today or tomorrow because school starts again this week. Some people get an extra week, but again, we're excited that you're joining us because today is the conclusion of our series, Sabotage. Again, we've been talking about the last four weeks. We've been spending our time talking about patterns, talking about behaviors, talking about habits that tend to sabotage or ruin our relationships. Now, this morning, I want to drop a little bit of truth down uh, here this morning, and it's, it's, it's going to be something that, as we talk about relationships, I don't know that this is something that many of us think about as it relates to relationships, but here's, here's the truth, here's the nugget, here's the thing I want to show you this morning, because again, I don't think many of us think about this when we think about relationships, but this little nugget of truth is this, for every authentic relationship that you have, now authentic is key there, For every authentic relationship that you have, you have to understand that there's going to be conflict. For every authentic relationship you have, have, there's going to be conflict. Now, here's the thing. Knowing that there's going to be conflict, I don't think many of us, and again, I look at this from my perspective. I don't think many of us are equipped or ready to handle conflict. And some of you might say, well, why, why, why is ha- handling conflict or why is conflict such a big deal? Well, it, it, it's such a big deal that I knew I couldn't do a series on relationships without talking about conflict. But that's not the real reason that we're talking about conflict. I would challenge you this morning that the real reason that we're talking about conflict is because when it comes to conflict, conflict is a serious thing. It's serious because God calls us to live at peace. He calls us to live at peace with everyone, so much so that we find this in Romans 12, verse 18. Look at it with me, if you will. It says, if it is within your power, make peace with all people. So here's the thing. Knowing that God has commanded me to live in peace with all people, if I can, then one of the things that I knew I had to do was set a goal for you and for me as we talk about the subject of conflict. And again, I I want you to understand exactly what that goal is, and I'm going to show it to you. My goal as it relates to conflict, for all of us in this morning, uh, for all of us in the auditorium this morning and those watching and listening online, my goal for us is this. So simply transform how you see and respond to conflict. Again, as we talk about conflict this morning, that's what I want you to understand. I want to transform the way that you look at conflict, but not just the way that you look at conflict, the way that you're going to respond to conflict. That's our goal. So it naturally, to me, brings up a question. And the question that that goal brings up is this. Is conflict bad? Now think about that. Is conflict bad? The Bible teaches about conflict. The Bible talks about conflict. But when it comes to conflict, the Bible teaches that much of the conflict that you and I have going on in our life, much of the disagreements that we have going on in our lives, that that conflict or those disagreements are the direct results of sin. Sinful attitudes. Sinful behavior. Look at what James wrote in James chapter 4. It says, where do you think your fighting and endless conflict comes from? Don't you think that they originate in the constant pursuit of gratification that rages inside of you like an uncontrolled militia? You crave something that you do not possess, so you murder to get it. You desire the things that you cannot earn, so you sue others and fight for what you want. You do not have because you have chosen not to ask. Look at what James says. So sometimes conflict is the result of sinful desires. I mean, we have conflict. We have disagreements. We have those things that are going on in our life. But conflict is not necessarily always bad. The quality of our relationships depends. Not on whether or not we have conflicts, because we're going to have conflicts. But the quality of our relationships depends on how we respond to those conflicts. That's why I want to transform the way that you see and respond to conflict. And again, we're doing this from Scripture. Now think about it like this. We all have conflict. We we all have disagreements that we have going on in our life. And many of you have walked into this auditorium, many of you watching online know that if you look at your life right now, you have unresolved conflicts, disagreements that are going on with other people, people in your life, people you work with, people in your marriage. I mean, mean, we have unresolved conflicts. And again, when we think about unresolved conflicts in the context of relationships, I kind of think that unresolved conflicts could be called the termites of relationships. That's why we're, this is important. That's why we need to address it. The Bible teaches that, that, that some of the differences that we have with other people and, and with people that we're in relationships, some of those differences are natural. Some of those differences are beneficial. Because, again, God has created all of us different. God has created us all in this room as a unique individual. And as unique individual as a, as a unique individual, we, we, we as human beings, we, we will have different opinions. We're going to have different convictions. We're going to have different desires. You're going to have a different perspective from me. I'm going to have a different priority from you. That's just the way that it is. And many of those differences... They're not inherently right or they're not inherently wrong. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how these differences are simply the result of God-given diversity, God-given personal preferences. So knowing that we're going to approach different things or things in different ways I I think we have to look at conflict in a very unique way. Because again, if we're going to transform the way that we see conflict, then we have to understand that conflict is an opportunity to demonstrate the love and the power of God in our lives. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, it is an opportunity to demonstrate the love and power of God in our lives. So, like we've done throughout the first four weeks of this series, and I know we have some visitors here, and and they probably weren't privy to what we've done unless they've watched online— but, but throughout this series, I put a graph up on the screen for you to see. And I, as I've done that, I've asked you to find your life on that graph. And we're going to do that this morning where as we look at relationships and we look at how we respond to conflict in relationships. Look at the graph behind me, and here's what you're going to see. On the left side, you're going to see the word flight, and on the right side, you're going to see the word fight. Now, think about conflict in your life. And think about those two words, and on that graph, do you gravitate more to the left, or do you gravitate more to the right as you respond to conflict? Where where do you find yourself on that graph? Where do you land on that graph? Because on on the left side, you have the word flight. And on the right side, you have the word fight. Two different groups of people, two different ways of actually handling conflict. So the question is, where do you find yourself on that graph? Do you lean more one way or do you lean the other? I'm going to address both of those groups. Let's look first at the left side. That's the group that's the flight group. And here's the thing. If that's the way that you respond to conflict, conflict, People tend to use the flight response or these responses. You use the flight response when you're more interested in not dealing with conflict. If you're a flight person, you're, you're probably more interested in, in, in avoiding conflict versus resolving conflict. Now think about that. That's the flight response. You, you, you just want to avoid conflict. You don't want to deal with conflict. And I would tell you this morning that the flight response to conflict is the main conflict that I see prevalent in the church. Because many Christians believe that conflict is wrong. Many followers of Jesus believe that conflict is dangerous. So if that's the case, thinking that Christians should should always agree, or fearing that conflict will inevitably damage relationships. The, the, the flight response people, they're the people who usually do one of two things to escape conflict, because again, they don't want to deal with conflict. But, but the two things those people do is they escape or they deny. They, they either just run from conflict, or they're the kind of person that just pretends that conflict doesn't exist. Or, or here's the thing, if we cannot deny that the problem exists, we, we simply refuse to do what should be done as it relates to properly resolving the conflict. Now, I want you to think about that. And I want to go to King David in Scripture. Because King David took that actual approach, the flight approach, when his son and he heard his son had had raped his half-sister. David took the flight approach. And again, one of the things that we can see if we were to go to that story is that response, the flight response to that conflict ultimately led to disaster. So again, if you're a flight person, you can think about it like this. Here's the thing that I think is really key. We need to understand that at the root of any conflict, in the mind of the flight person, and really in the mind of all of us, but at the root of any conflict, uh, avoidance is really our unwillingness. We just just say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with conflict because I don't want to deal with pain. I'm unwilling to deal with the pain that's going to be present when I'm confronted with the conflict. And many people who won't deal with conflict and they find themselves on the flight side of that graph, their basic response is is really something like, well, I just don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to hurt the other person. When in fact, you are actually the person that you don't want to have to deal with with what you're going to feel if the other person in the conflict gets upset. So, if we really take the time to think about it, there's something that I can see. Because again, this flight response is very prevalent in the church. It's very prevalent with many Christians. And knowing that, Many Christians don't want to deal with conflict. It helps me to see that most Christians are intent on peace faking, not peacemaking. Because again, this approach to conflict is very prevalent in the church. And it makes me see that most people in the church are more concerned about the appearance of peace than the actual reality of peace. But here's the thing. If you find yourself on the flight side of that graph, on the left side, the more you avoid conflict, then you have to understand that the bigger your pile of resentment is going to be. If you don't deal with with, with conflict, then you have to understand that your pile of resentment is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because here's the thing, if every time you enter into conflict, if every time you encounter conflict, if every time you avoid it, you shut down, you sleep on it, you never come back to it, or if you just take the conflict and you just sweep it under the carpet, your pile of resentment is going to build until one day that dam of resentment is going to break and it's going to explode. Now, that's just one side of that grab. That's the left side. Now, now, now let's take the time to look at the right side, which that response was what I call the fight response. Because again, you're going to respond to conflict in your life one of those two ways. You may be more one way than the other, but you're going to be a, a flight person or you're going to be a fight person. And for the fight person, those responses are used by people who are oftentimes interested in winning more than they are resolving. I mean, the fight attitude as it relates to conflict it is seen in people who actually view the conflict that they have with other people in relationships. They see that conflict as a contest, a chance to, uh, to win over somebody, a chance to assert their rights, a, a, a chance to control other people through the conflict. And again, that fight response, those attack responses are oftentimes used by people who are who are strong. They're used by people who are self-confident. But again, it's not limited to that. They can also be used, the fight response can also be used by people who feel weak or who are fearful or people who are unsecure. And again, if this is you, if you're on the that that side of the graph, it's almost like the like conflict is just a part of you if you're a fight person it's it's almost like it's just it's just what you do you wouldn't know what to do without a fight in the conflict i mean again you feed on the fight you look for the fight you go out of your way to create a fight because again as it relates to conflict that's just a coping mechanism for you and, and again, if you find yourself on the fight side of this graph, then I'm going to give you two words this morning. If you're a fight person when it comes to con- conflict, the two words that I have for you this morning are just this, lighten up. Lighten up. And while you're pondering those two words, let me share something from you with prop with you from Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 11. It says, a person with discretion is not easily angered. He gains respect by overlooking an offense. He gains respect by overlooking something that was done to him. Now, again, I I, I think most of the time, much of the conflict that really gets us fired up is stuff that's downright simple. It's downright petty. And if there's anything that I think our culture has, has missed, we've overlooked. We've lost the art of overlooking an offense. I mean, think about it. We we initially, when somebody does something to us, we want to fight about it. Let me think about. I don't know if any of you saw the Tennessee Florida game on Friday. You may have seen it on highlights, but for those that don't know, and those that don't care about sports, I mean, I'm a March Madness person. That's about it. But I was actually at home watching the Tennessee Florida game on Friday, and a Tennessee player and a Florida player going for the rebound. I mean, it was just, it was, it was brutal to watch. I mean, initially you didn't really see what happened, but initially what happened is this, this, this Tennessee player falls lifelessly to the court, to the ground. The Florida player runs around, uh, runs away, and, and again, you, c- you really couldn't tell what happened. I mean, you could tell they were battling for the ball, battling for the rebound, uh, and, and and again, two players were very close, and they were they were you know going after it and doing what you do in basketball this time of year. But but then as they started to replay, I mean, you see this guy on the ground, and and I mean, he's they're lifeless. I mean, he's I mean, he fell. F- I mean, he went down quick. And of course, then they start doing the replay, and the Florida player with one elbow got him on one side of his head. And you could see it was intentional. And then with the other elbow, he got him on the other side of his head. And the guy falls lifelessly to the ground. They replayed it, they replayed it, they replayed it, and eventually they ejected the Florida player from the game. The Tennessee player was taken back to the locker room, not knowing what his status was, but it was apparent that at, at the least it could have been a concussion. We don't know what's going to happen to him. We, we, don't ha- we don't hear anything much about it. I mean, it was replayed on Sports Center on CNE. I mean, they, everybody made a big deal about it. And, and, and quite honestly, I mean, it was, it was a bad thing. But yesterday morning, before Tennessee played Alabama, the player who was on the receiving end of the two elbows spoke with the Florida player who had been in that altercation with him. And he had forgiven him. And then the Tennessee player goes on social media, on Twitter, and says, listen, volunteer fans, I'm a Vanderbilt fan, okay? So I'm kind of telling this outside of that. We're used to losing. So anyway, uh, but he says, show the guy some grace. Don't worry about it. Don't focus on it. I've spoken with him. I have forgiven him now let's focus on our game with Alabama and that's what we've lost we've lost in our culture the ability to overlook an offense and what's sad is this in the in the church as followers of Jesus here's what we have to understand overlooking an offense is a form of forgiveness which involves a deliberate decision that you know what I'm not going to dwell on it I'm not going to let it grow in my life to form some pent up anger I'm not going to talk about it I'm not going to get bitter about it And as we think about this we we think about what other people do and how they respond to conflict Many times the thing that we have to understand is this. Nothing that other people do is because of you. Now think about this. This is kind of deep, I think, but I want you to just kind of track with me here. Nothing that other people do is because of you. What people do is because of themselves. Because, see, here's the thing. People live in their own mind. All people live in their own mind. They are in a completely different world from the one that you live in. So when we take something personally, we make the assumption that that person who has done something to us knows what's going on in our world. And then we try to impose our world on their world. It's more about what's going on in their world, not what's going on in your world. That's just part of conflict. So again, my my goal today is to transform the way that you look at conflict. And I I think one of the ways, or really the only way that I can transform the way that you're going to look at conflict this morning, is to, to, to give you a new perspective. To give you a proper perspective. So this morning, as we think about conflict, especially as it relates to relationships, I, I, I kind of want to look at this as from a biblical response. What, what's a biblical response to conflict? And when we're looking at conflict from that perspective, the perspective of a, of a biblical response, then then the first way that I think that we can respond as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers in the one true God, is any time we're having to deal with conflict in our life, in our relationships, the very first thing that we need to look at or the very first thing that we need to do is every time we enter into conflict, we need to do this. We need to seek to glorify God. Now, I realize that's like oil and water to most of you. But anytime there's conflict in a relationship that you have with other people in the church, outside of the church, in your marriage, in your business, as you enter into that conflict and you have to deal with that conflict, the very first thing that you need to do is to seek to glorify God. Because here's the thing that conflict provides. Conflict always provides an opportunity to glorify God. That is, it always provides you an opportunity to show who God is. To show what God is like. To show what God is doing. The best way to glorify God in the midst of conflict is to depend and draw attention to His grace. That's what John Fulkerson did yesterday. The best way to glorify God in the midst of conflict is to depend depend on and draw attention to God's grace. That is, the undeserved love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom that he gives to us through Jesus Christ. And again, this can be done in several ways. Again, we saw that yesterday. But, but the very first way that this can be accomplished is this. Drop your agenda and just surrender and trust God. That's what the Tennessee player did yesterday. He could have made a big deal out of it. He could have, he could have said all kinds of things. But you know what? He just simply took the opportunity to drop his agenda, to not try to get back at the Florida player but to drop his agenda and apparently to trust God based on the words that I have read and what I have heard that he said. So the very first thing that we can do is is just drop our agenda and surrender and trust God. I mean, think about it. Instead of relying on your own ideas, instead of relying on your own abilities as you respond to people who oppose you, Ask God to give you the grace to depend on Him and follow His ways, even if those ways are completely opposite as it relates to what you're used to doing. Drop your agenda and surrender. And trust God. Let me, let me give you a great verse that will help you with this whole idea of surrender. And this is going to be a verse that many of you in the room, many of you listening and watching online, you're going to be very familiar with this. Again, it comes from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. And shun evil. See, here's the thing I think God loves. I think God loves to display His love in us when we attempt to do things that we could never do on our own. I think God loves to do that. I think that God loves to display His love in us when we attempt things, things that we could never do on our own, such as forgiving somebody who's hurt us. And as you trust in the Lord, now think about this, as you trust in the Lord in a way that's unnatural to you, people will have the opportunity to see that God is real and praise Him for the work in your life. So we start, as it relates to dealing with conflict, we start with seeking to glorify God. That's the first thing. That's the biblical response. Here's here's the next thing that I think needs to be a part of that biblical response. I think when there's any conflict in your life, in any relationship in in your life, you need to focus on your contribution. How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to the conflict? Look at Matthew chapter 7. If you judge other people, then you will find that you too are being judged. Indeed, you will be judged by the very standards to which you hold other people. Why is it that you see the dust in your brother's or sister's eye, but you can't see what is in your own eye? Don't ignore the wooden plank in your eye while you criticize the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyelashes. That type of criticism and judgment is a sham. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then perhaps you will be able to see clearly how to help your brother flush out his sawdust. Now, here again, the wisdom that is actually found in Matthew chapter 7 is this You and I, when we're involved in a conflict with somebody else in a relationship, we need to focus on what we contribute to the conflict. We need to focus more on what we contributed to the conflict versus what the other person might have contributed to the conflict. Because there's a temptation here. The temptation that when you and I are are involved in a conflict is that we often feel that we want to control somebody else by ignoring them or by shaming them in an effort to make them someone who can better serve our purposes. The temptation is to ignore them. Or to shame them. Again, we want them to be somebody to better serve our purposes. But look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now think about that. When somebody does me wrong, I want to fix them. I want to fix the situation. But mercy is the one thing that frees me from the need to fix whatever's wrong. Mercy allows me To be able to love and to be compassionate. Whether that wrong that's involved in the conflict can be righted or not. Because think about human beings. What do we love? What do you love as a human being? You love to be right. So here's the thing. When a person is willing to give up their right to be right, that's when a whole different world of possibilities opens up. I mean, think about it. As human beings, we're quick to judge, quick to condemn, quick to throw the penalty flag, quick to call the foul, quick to be offended, but we're slow to ask. We're very slow to ask the question in conflicts that we have going on in our relationships. We're slow to ask, what do I need to do? What do I need to personally own in this conflict? So, when there's conflict, let me give you a great place to start. Listen more, talk less. When you're involved in a conflict in your marriage, in your, in your relationships with a friend, or maybe even at work, That's a great place to start. Listen more, talk less. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 2. What does it say? A fool. What's a fool? We said it last week. A person who knows the difference. This is a biblical opinion or a biblical uh, definition of a fool. A fool is somebody who knows the difference between right and wrong but doesn't care. But the writer says here in Proverbs 18, 2, a fool never delights in true knowledge, but only wants to express what's on his mind. I was watching, anybody here watching Virgin River on Netflix? Oh, it's so good. I'm a Hallmark guy. I hate to say it, but you know what I'm saying. Uh I mean, but but Virgin River is kind of like a Hallmark show. It's they got two seasons, but I've been watching it. And I heard them say something this week that so brought back something that somebody had told me. And it went something like this listening is not wanting to talk. That's what listening is. Listening is me not wanting to talk. Think about that. Listening is me not wanting to say anything. And when you think about that, there are few gifts that you can give to a human being that communicate more value than your presence. Not your mouth. There are few gifts that are more valuable than your time and your attention. Which fully leads me to the idea that the best way, listen to me, Crossroads, listen to me online, the best way to resolve a conflict in your life, in your relationships, Is not with your mouth, but with your ears. When you're in conflict with somebody in a relationship, listen to them. Because the most basic of all human needs is the need to be understood. It's the need to understand. And listen to me, the best way to understand somebody else is to listen to them. So listen more and talk less. Let me give you something else. Gently restore if you're given the opportunity. Gently restore somebody else if you're given the opportunity. Because here's the question that I've been asking about my own self, my own life, when I find myself in conflict with other people. And the question that I've been asking myself is this, how can I serve other people that I'm in a conflict with? How can I lovingly serve other people? By helping them take responsibility For their contribution to the conflict. See, sometimes you have to help other people understand that they have a part to play in the conflict that's going on in the relationship. So my question is, how can I lovingly help them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict that's going on between us? Now think about that. Because there's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. Because here's the thing, when you sit down with somebody and there's a conflict going on between you in a relationship and you help them and you confront them with a hard truth, you know what a hard truth is going to do? A hard truth sometimes is going to hurt us. It's going to hurt them. But sometimes when they're confronted with a hard truth, it's also an opportunity for them to grow. That's not harmful. It may hurt them, but it won't harm them. Harm, on the other hand, is when you damage someone. Helping somebody face reality is not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. But see, here's the thing. When I, res- when I resort to an escape response, flight or fight, I'm generally focusing on me. I'm looking at what's easy. I'm looking at what's convenient. I'm looking at what's non-threatening to myself. When I use an attack response in a conflict that I have going on with somebody, I'm generally focusing on you blaming you and expecting you to give in, and I want you to solve the problem. But here's the thing. When I use, listen, 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 focus right here. When I use a biblical response to conflict, you know what my focus is? My focus is on us. I'm aware. I'm aware of everyone's interest in the dispute. I'm aware of everyone's interest in the conflict, especially God's. And I'm working towards mutual responsibility as it relates to resolving the situation, to solving the problem. The Bible teaches. Listen to what the Bible teaches about conflict. The Bible teaches that we should never see conflict as an inconvenience, nor as an occasion to force our will on other people. But rather, the Bible teaches that we should see conflict as an opportunity to demonstrate the power and the love of God in our lives. Again, think about it like this. Dealing with conflict in a healthy way is really essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have to deal with it in a healthy way. Now listen to me. You show me somebody who has healthy relationships and they know how to work through conflict, and I'll show you somebody who's having a tremendous impact for the cause of Christ in the lives of other people. But the reverse is true also. You show me somebody whose life is full of unresolved conflict. You show me somebody whose life is full of broken relationships. And I'll show you somebody that's having very little impact for the cause of Christ. I mean, again, this principle, listen, is taught repeatedly throughout the New Testament. One of the most emphatic statements on peace and unity in the Bible is found in Jesus' prayer shortly before he was arrested and taken away to be crucified. Look with me with John chapter 17. Look with me at John chapter 17. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's a key word. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now listen to me this morning. As death was drawing near to Jesus, Jesus took the time and he focused on one concept. Why would he focus on one concept? Because he knew this concept was going to be of paramount importance for all of those who had placed their faith in him and believed that he was who he said he was. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't pray. He didn't pray for his followers to be happy. He didn't pray that his followers wouldn't suffer. He didn't pray that their rights would always be defended. Jesus prayed one prayer. That his followers, listen to me people, listen. That his followers would get along with one another. This was so important to him. That Jesus tied his credibility and his reputation of his message to how well his followers would display unity and oneness. I mean, think about it. If there's anybody that knows anything about conflict, it's Jesus. Because I don't know if you've thought about this. But Jesus lost his life through tremendous conflict. I mean, who's the greatest traitor in history? And it's not Benedict Arnold. The greatest traitor in history is Judas. And after over 2,000 years, we still remember his name. He was Jesus' friend. And not only was he the friend of Jesus, Jesus trusted Judas. I mean, think about it. He was the treasurer of that little group of people. Those disciples. Jesus trusted Judas so much that he put him in charge of the money. So when Jesus was sent to the cross, It wasn't just done by this hostile government from whom Jesus expected opposition. It wasn't just done by religious leaders that he knew were going to oppose him. It wasn't just done by that fickle mob who went from Hosanna one week to crucify him the next. I mean, think about what sent him to the cross. It was a friend. It was someone that he trusted. It was a good friend, somebody that he lived with and walked with. Somebody that he sat at the table with for three years. But Judah sold the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. So if anybody understands all about the storm of betrayal, all about the storm of conflict. It's Jesus. Now think about it. Picture Jesus on the cross. Because there he is when he was on the cross. He's looking down at all of humanity that had betrayed him. His friend Judas. His followers that fled. That crowd of people that turned on him. and the religious leaders that should have embraced him. But they didn't. And what did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, we So oftentimes, as your followers, the blood-bought people of Jesus, we fail to handle conflict in our relationships in a biblical way. We don't approach it from a biblical response. And God, I walked into this morning with one goal, and that was to transform how we see respond to conflict and my hope and my prayer this morning is that we've succeeded with the help of the Holy Spirit that this teaching has been deposited in the lives of your people and that God we can now be different in the way that we approach we approach conflict because everything that Jesus said, everything that he taught hangs on this our ability to get along that's what Jesus prayed that's what was so important to him that we simply could get along even though we're different that there would be unity. So God, this morning, we know you're not looking for uniformity. You're looking for unity. Help us to be people of unity that follow your son, Jesus Christ. That come to you when there's an issue in our life and a relationship in our life and we don't know what to do, but that we come to you and we give it to you and ask you to help us handle that conflict in a biblical way from a biblical perspective that we come to you and give it to you, knowing that by your Holy Spirit that you will lead us and that you will direct us as we respond to that conflict. God, we ask you to help us, equip us, as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. is going to be conflict and that conflict is an opportunity for you to demonstrate the love and the power of God in your life my prayer is that today transform